Coming up this week on the Single Seater Space podcast. That a few hundred yards has cost Andretti Autosport more than a million dollars. IndyCar is such a fast moving world. We don't really know what on earth is going to go on with that uh, Del Coin seat. IndyCar would not let DeFrancesco leave the pit box. I love how you talk about on-track action. We don't see any in F1, James. Remember that. Remember, you can find all of our content on our website, singleseaterspace.co.uk, and on our social media using the at singleseaterspace. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Single Seater Space podcast. After the final race of the NTT IndyCar series in 2023, we've got lots to unpack because it was a race that featured eight caution periods, 17 penalties handed out to drivers, and at the end of all the melee and chaos, it was Scott Dixon that prevailed for his third win in the final few races of the season, and Alex Pelot, already the champion, rounded out his season on the podium having already sealed the title in Portland. I'm here to discuss all the events of the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey at WeatherTech Raceway is of course Taron for another episode of the podcast and Taron Lodaguna Seca will no longer be the season finale for next year and it's being replaced by Nashville so Laguna Seca decided to do its best Nashville impression am I right? Yeah it definitely provided a fitting finale um, we were all kind of thrown back to the first race of the season where we saw so much chaos around St. Pete and to be honest, this race provided probably even more chaos and carnage than our first round there. So it was a fitting finale. And I think the one talking point was the relay track. The new tarmac certainly provided some talking points. The extra speed. I think the stat was about five to six seconds faster speeds, faster lap times than last year, which was just mega but the one thing that faster speeds does provide is that every mistake gets punished even more harshly. And uh, we definitely saw that throughout the weekend, whether it be in practice, whether it be in qualifying, and then on to the main race itself. Um, a total of eight safety cars, I believe. It was just utterly ridiculous how every single restart that we saw provided extra cautions. Cautions bred cautions is the famous phrase in IndyCar, and this weekend certainly provided evidence for it. But as usual, Scott Dixon was the guy who who uh, prevailed, and whenever you have chaos, you always keep an eye on Scott Dixon. You always keep on that the eye on the number nine Chip Ganassi car, and um, I think I remember saying to my dad on lap thirty when I think we had our fourth safety car by that time. Yeah, Scott Dixon is going to win this. Scott Dixon has got this in the bag, even though he's P6. And, well, lo and behold, he did that. Um, I've mentioned quite a few points there, but um, I will start probably with the track layout. And do you think Laguna Seca should remain on the IndyCar calendar, whether it not be as a season finale, James? Oh, I'm sure it will remain on the... Uh remain on the calendar i think it'll actually return to its like previous spot where it was which was um sort of mid-june event and the indycar calendar next season is definitely going to have at least one gap in the middle because uh, nbc will be running their coverage of the paris olympics and so as a result we'll have at least a two-week break in may which i think will coincide with where the gallagher grand prix used to be that won't be happening anymore because the rumours are that NASCAR are moving to using the Indianapolis Oval, and so instead of being on the road course, which 
means that it's just not possible to run IndyCar and NASCAR in the same weekend, which almost frees up a bit of a spot. Rumours are that Milwaukee will be coming back, which is, of course, ideal because everyone wants another oval on the schedule. And the initial early season break, which was just announced before we get into the whole debacle around Laguna Seca and how everybody decided that they were already in vacation mode, um, the one-month gap between St. Petersburg and Texas will be filled with a all-star race at the Thermal Club where IndyCar um, did their pre-season testing last year. Um, this year we'll be having an all-star race at the facility as well as perhaps um, maybe some, some more testing as well. It's a gorgeous venue. Um, I mean, the uh, the backdrops in gold now, some of the pictures taken are absolutely stunning. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, as, uh, as you say, the new track surface allowed people to um, have a bit more confidence, I'd say, around the track. And what that resulted in was um, Hail Mary moves into the first corner and uh, people going three wide into the final corner on restarts. And uh, that, of course, went particularly badly um, throughout most of the day. So Dixon wins despite the fact he had a drive-through penalty and was uh, a victim of the opening lap crash. Then Scott McLaughlin finished second, despite the fact he also received a penalty with a bump with Santino Ferrucci, where Ferrucci pulled off one of the best saves you're ever going to see, which almost, which, which yeah, kind of ruined Santino's day. He then had another bump on another restart. Alex Pelot finished third, which doesn't seem like, He's had too bad of a day, but then his day was also up and down because he was on the wrong strategy. Then suddenly he was on the right strategy, he was on the wrong strategy again. Will Power managed to finish fourth, which is bizarre. And Callum Eilat, who was parked on the pit lane for about at least half a minute during a safety car period and backwards, ended up finishing fifth. He made so many pit stops, and to somehow finish in the top five on the lead lap having been backwards blocking Kyle Kirkwood to get into the pits for quite some time was some feat to only then finish 21 seconds off the lead. Yeah, I think I think uh, it was just a carnage-filled race, to be honest. And um, I think the main thing that we do need to talk about here is Hunkos Hollinger and what a day they had. It was, I think, some point in the middle of the race, James's prediction of last week of Augustin Canapino finishing ahead of Marcus Armstrong was a prediction that somehow could have happened. It was on the cards. We saw Calipino in the podium positions, which was where he needed to be. I think he needed to be in P2 or something like that. And he was sat in P3 with a number of laps to go until a little contact with teammate Callum Eilat. And I think the main thing here was a lot of people have gone on to, to kind of say a lot of bad things about either of the drivers but i think it's forgetting the main thing here hunkos had an amazing day it's a day that they will never forget i lot finishing in p4 and canapino even though he was he was carrying a wounded car with front wing damage how that front wing didn't fall off i still don't know it Kind of uh, reminded me of um, Polo, I think, around Toronto when he had his half of his front wing hanging off. It reminded me a lot of that. But um, I know even though he lost places and finished in P14, that was a gutsy drive by Canapino. And on pure pace alone, without a damaged car, he could have very easily ended up on that podium. Um, but unfortunately, Chip Ganassi and uh, Penske exist. 
and um, certainly ruined any hopes of a podium. Um, I'll, I'll go to you, James. Uh, you'll probably have a bit to say about Hunkos. It was a brilliant day for that team, especially considering they are one of the newer teams on the IndyCar grid. Well, they are the newest team, aren't they? And actually, um, it was a great day. So great, in fact, that one of their drivers has had to lock their Twitter because of all the uh, abuse coming from the other side of the garage. So, yes, they did both get into the leader's circle, um, guaranteeing them both. I think something like that. it's going to be bumped up. It was 900 thousand us dollars it's now looking like it's more likely something around 1.3 million which always helps to for securing a, a full-time ride especially for a small team like hunkos with uh with you know limited finances so they did a, a very good job i mean they were they were running well and um unfortunately for canapino he he he, he hit callum and um and broke his front wing and actually to be fair i mean it was callum who was the the, the victim in that situation and then um of course a bit like after long beach um canapino fans uh started coming out coming after callum on uh on on twitter which again was was just not good and then they they haven't like been shut down i mean canapino i saw although they've been unliked liked a couple of tweets that were almost like kind of promoting his side of the story so yeah um there, there's there's also some rumors circling that that uh indycar told callum oh sorry hunkos told callum not to try and attack canapino which of course team orders are very much banned in indycar and so as a result um hunkos may be finding themselves in a little bit of hot water um i, I suspect this will trying to be solved as quickly as possible but um yeah, team orders are very clearly banned. So to tell Callum to to not attack is 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 illegal. And at the second time, they're racing drivers, and one of them has a potential good chance for a podium or even a win in the smallest team. There's absolutely no reason why you wouldn't go for that as a driver, especially yeah if your team makes 26 points off the rookie of the year and the guy who's leading the thing is running in ninth, meaning that Canapino would have had to have actually won the race for that actually in the end to to come through. Um, is 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 quite brainless, you know. So uh, Marcus Armstrong finished eighth and scored twenty four points. So which means Calipino would have literally had to won the win the race in order to make it. So you know uh, that went down like a lead balloon, didn't it? Um, other teams that had difficult days were Andretti Autosport. Um, uh, I saw a tweet which said something like, yeah, all this day needs is for uh, an Andretti Autosport to have a, a, another strategy honker and then it'll be like the perfect IndyCar chaos race. And considering that none of their drivers finished in the top 10 on such a mad day, you'd have to say that it's a rough day to, to finish the season for Andretti. Yeah, definitely. Um, it kind of had glimpses of looking quite good for them uh, because we had Grosjean out of nowhere. He was leading the race for a little bit. Um, unfortunately, the carnage and chaos prevailed so much that um, strategy was kind of thrown out of the window and making your pit stops at perfect time was um, quite a difficult thing to do. And, uh, well, as, as you kind of say, uh, the strategy didn't pay off well for Grosjean. He finished in P11 in the end, which is which was actually very sad in his last race for Andretti. He could have very well been on for his maiden race win had there not been so much carnage. But, oh, well, um, yeah, of course, Carl Kirkwood. Yeah, he was kind of left in the dust and out of the out of kind of any running. Um, same for Colton Herto. Uh, he crushed with Helio Castroneves. Um, Helio had a really, really, really scrappy day. I think it's fair to say he almost took out race leader at one point. Alex below. It was very, very, very dodgy by Helio, and um, that being his last kind of full race. Yeah. 
and in his fi- in his final road course race as well. Final road course race for Helio. Um, yeah, probably probably time to hang up the helmet on that side of the uh, thing. I mean, obviously, still going to be competing at Indy. Still, arguably one of the greatest drivers to ever race at Indy. You know, four time winner. Only four drivers have ever done that. But uh, for his final road course race. It was scrappy, and um, yeah, maybe time for the old man to hang up the helmet uh, on on that part of his competition. Definitely. Uh, I think you summarised it pretty perfectly there. And um, we are going to pick up on Devlin DeFrancesco. How do we summarise Devlin DeFrancesco's day, James? Um, So he's running in a relatively okay position, I think it's fair to say. I think he was in P5 at one point. Um, until he's very, very, very obviously he had gearbox issues. It was very easy to see that he was going so slow and that you could see his head just juddering every single time his gearbox was trying to engage. And yeah, um, he was left to kind of run through the pits every time, just so desperate to get those leader circle points. Um, but James, do you want to summarize how Devlin D. Francesco's race unraveled in the end? Yeah, so... Uh, for, for Devlin, it went wrong. Um, he needed... Well, after Yuri Vips crashed out, um, Devlin Francesco needed to finish in 21st place to therefore secure nine points and, uh, as a result, pick up um, some leader's circle bonus. That, uh, that $1 million. And that a few hundred yards has cost Andretti Autosport more than a million dollars. Race control, pres- uh, um, he came into the pits on lap uh, 80, 88, maybe, 89, something like that, because um, he was black flagged, because he was running so slowly. IndyCar has the rule that if you're running at more than 105% consistently off the leader's speed, you'll get black flagged, a la Benjamin Peterson at Iowa, for example. Um, he was just so many laps down that they would just like call him in. You can then go into the pits... Um, to try and fix the car. It's not like Formula One where a black flag is a disqualification. It's more go into the pits, fix the car. Um, if uh, if there's a if there's an evident problem, there was of course the gearbox problem for De Francesco, which is the mitigating some circumstances. Which, unlike Peterson at Iowa, um, this is what happened. So De Francesco pitted on lap 84, putting him down to 18th. And the number 29 was black flagged um, for running a foul of its 105% rule, meaning De Francesco's lap times were consistently 5% slower, as I've just explained. The call for the number 29 to pit came on lap 88 when timing and scoring data does show that the car turned a considerably long lap, even for pit stop scenarios, which is a 1 minute 50.3. If you take out about the the 29, 30 seconds they were losing for pit stop, that's still 11 seconds off the times that Scott Dixon was doing consistently in the lead. IndyCar then says that the number 29 was allowed to complete lap 89 uninhibited and came through pit lane on its own accord to drive through on lap 90. However... Um, what 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 it does say is that on lap 91, with De Francesco now three laps down to the leaders in 21st, with Joseph Newgarden the close behind in 22nd, four laps down. Remember, De Francesco needs to be 21st. Um, uh, IndyCar would not let De Francesco leave the pit box. He completed 90 laps and was just a couple of hundred yards off from ticking off his 91st. Per IndyCar rules, he's credited with having completed 91 laps because cars in pit lane at the checkered flag are ruled completed the lap they were on. But it meant that though De Francesco 90 completed 90 laps well before Newgarden, De Francesco wasn't allowed to cross the start finish line in the pit lane. So IndyCar, so Newgarden officially finished his 91st lap before De Francesco did. As a result, he missed out on the leader's circle points by not being allowed to pit. 
uh, leave the pit box at the end of the race and he missed out on the leader's circle bonus by, yeah, a couple of hundred yards down pit lane because IndyCar wouldn't let him leave the box. Um, tough day. Tough break for the 29. And, uh, you know, it was a rough one. Um, is that going to be like De Francesco's last act in IndyCar? Um, or do we think, you know, Dale Coyne have got two seats available. Do you think he might go in one of those? Because I've heard that Roman Grosjean sniffing around one of those as well. Um, what uh, what what do we think? I mean, if you, were, if you were Michael Andretti right now, how would you be feeling? Well, I'd be feeling pretty hard done by it. I mean, that fourth drive at Andretti was kind of already under question, I feel. And kind of the leader circle kind of fees you get from that was just so important for them. But now that Andretti Steinbrenner Autosport uh, seat definitely seems to be under question now um, without that kind of $1.3 million fund. $1.3 million is quite a lot, if that wasn't well known already. But um, anyway, um, yeah, uh, Devlin, he hasn't had the best of seasons, I think it's fair to say, apart from a Hail Mary move around the outside of four cars at the second Indy GP race, which um, we will always remember that move as probably the move of the IndyCar season, let's be honest. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, sadly for Devlin, just inconsistent results, finishing Oh, finishing kind of below the top 15 isn't really going to cut it. And especially when you have a man like Roman Grosjean with such a good character. Like IndyCon needs that character of Roman Grosjean in the sport. And um, I'm looking at you, Delcoin. I'm looking at you. I want my prediction to happen. I want Roman Grosjean to be back at Delcoin for the 2024 season instead of Devlin. Um, because as I said, I, I think I've said this already. Um, who would you rather have? A man who finishes on podiums but is a little bit of a crash-prone person or a man who finishes below the top 15 pretty much every single time? Delcoin, which would you rather? I'd rather have Roman, but then again, I am slightly biased here. Um, James, I'm sure you've probably got thoughts. Yeah, but also, if you're Dale Coyne Racing and your best track of the season is always World Ride Technology Raceway, and Roman Grosjean's first oval for your team was at Road Ride Technology Raceway, and, you know, he did good. Um, really, really, really good. Um, you know, you'd take Roman Grosjean, but then also they might not be happy with the way that he left the team. But, you know, uh, IndyCar is a world that moves very fast. And, uh, yeah, um, Devin D. Francesco's gearbox issues, he's just confirmed, um, well, because he was hit in the back. Uh, off one of the restarts. Um, but yeah, uh, tough one for uh, Andretti Autosport. And all the credit for that story comes from uh, Indy Star's Nathan Brown, who is like the Fabrizio Romano of the IndyCar world. Um, he was, uh, he's the one, he's your source of all information. So that was pulled from his article because it's a pretty sensational story that hasn't picked up any of the coverage that it perhaps deserves um, for, for, for what went on there. Um, other bits and pieces to talk about then. Um, the Rookie of the Year was decided by Marcus Armstrong. Um, he pulled off another top 10 finish with Chip Ganassi Racing, and he will be running full-time next season. Um, if we saw the, uh, if you saw the video that came out in April, May time of his first visit to Indianapolis Motor Speedway when his compatriots were testing on the oval and he'd never, um, he'd never, he'd never like seen the cars. I mean, he went up to the fence at, at turn one and was absolutely blown away. From that moment, you knew that he was going to, uh, he was going to be desperate to race, um, in the series, uh, 
full-time, um, not just on the road and street courses. So, yeah, he won the Rookie of the Year ahead of an, a high-class field that included uh, Canapino, who did a good job, and then Stingray Rob and Benjamin Peterson. Um, if we have a chat about those two, neither of them are completely confirmed to be in IndyCar for next season, but I would be... I would be um, shocked if Peterson didn't, considering it said he signed a multi-year deal. Stingray Rob is the big question, right? Between those two, who has had the better season? I know it's 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 difficult to compare them, but who has had the better season, Peterson or Rob? And um, yeah, just you know, what what do we think? Yeah, um, it's a big question. Yeah, um, I feel Benjamin Peterson's overall points tally doesn't fully show what he's done this year um he w- i think we we all remember what he did at the indy 500 finishing i think as the top rookie there that drive by his was utterly unbelievable i know that ag that aj40 car was an utter rocket ship and santino frucci provided that by finishing in the podium places but yeah, um, I just feel Benjamin Peterson's season hasn't really shown what a good driver he has been, because um, AJ Foy haven't exactly been the best at kind of road courses and street circuits. It hasn't been exactly the best car they've had to kind of try and take their chances with a bit of carnage here and there. Um, Stingray Rob, where, where, where do we go with him, to be honest with you? Um, he's kind of been that one driver who we don't really see a lot. Apart from at Laguna Seca, where I was kind of celebrating the fact that he was above Alex Bly for a little bit of the race, and I was celebrating so hard for Stingray. Like, this was the thing that you have never seen before. Stingray Rob beating the IndyCar Championship winner. Um, But unfortunately, I just don't... I just feel um, he hasn't been the best. I know he's keen for a drive next season, and why would you not be? Uh, it's IndyCar, and you know this is kind of the adrenaline fueled sport that IndyCar is. But um, you know he's j- he's just not had that flair that I think a lot of youngsters have had, and especially where that Delcoin drive is kind of heading. You have you have drivers kind of putting their hands up here and there, such as a Roman Grosjean, such as a Devin Di Francesco, and. It, 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 it's a big question and to be honest I think you've stated this already uh, IndyCar is such a fast moving world we don't really know what on earth is going to go on with that uh, Dale Coyne seat um, I will kind of pick up on the top two finishes though with Armstrong and Canapino Armstrong's season as a whole, he finished in P20 yes however, his season doesn't fully show what a brilliant driver he has been for Chip Ganassi season in his rookie season didn't even attend. Well, you got to bear in mind he missed exactly. five events as well. He didn't he attend any of the oval races, um, and yet he's finished head in this rookie championship. Yes, I know he's in a Chip Ganassi car, and yes, I know that is one of the top two, the big two teams in IndyCar. But still, his season as a whole has been brilliant, and it, the video of him just standing by the by, by the by the trackside watching uh, cars go at 230 miles an hour around Indy um, is a pretty hilarious thing. He just looks completely in shock until he goes, oh, that's Marcus, when he sees Marcus Erickson just going around the corner. Uh, that was just quite funny to see. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he does around oval races. 
Um, hopefully he does well. Um, I think next season is going to be a very interesting one for Marcus Armstrong, where he's going to be Chip Ganassi's long-haul driver, um, because he has certainly shown the talent enough for him. Um, I've said a bit there. Um, what are your thoughts about the Stingray Rob versus Benjamin... Well, I say Stingray Rob versus Benjamin Peterson. What do you, who, do you, who do you think has had the better season as a whole between those two drivers? Well, I think Benjamin Peterson has been incredibly unlucky. Like, if you look at um, bad luck personified, I mean, you look at something like straight away being taken out of the very first corner at Worldwide Technology Raceway because Ed Carpenter forgot that Worldwide Technology Raceway is the only oval in which he used the brake pedal. Um, so, you know, it was... Uh, he had bad luck, but, I mean... Yeah, compared to his teammate Ferrucci, he's always been a little bit off, but you'd expect that, I mean, compared to a driver that's been racing um, in the series for quite some time. Um, but, I mean, AJ Foyt have just been really poor, haven't they? I mean, both drivers were at least seven or eight laps down in Iowa. I mean, you can't even blame that on the rookie. That's just being chucked into an impossibly difficult scenario. So, yeah, difficult one for um, AJ Foyt. The other thing I was going to mention is we'll do a full IndyCar review of the season when we get a chance to at some point. Um, but uh, because, yeah, we can't do a full season review now because, you know, we'd be going on for hours. Um, so we'll do a full exclusive IndyCar review at some point. But I was just going to say that for in the in the silly season bit, um, Felipe Drogovic turned down a Ed Carpenter racing test, which seems like a bit of a silly idea considering he's Aston Martin's reserve driver. Aston Martin, the seat in F1 with only one seat. Yeah, and you're not better than Fernando Alonso. Aston Martin. So, you know, difficult one there. Um, I, I think that's a really bad move, but um, who am I to judge? He might end up winning the Formula One World Championship next season because, you know, that's just the way things roll. Um, it's not happening. Uh, and then um, and uh, the other thing I was going to say is that um, the driving standards at Laguna Seca were pretty amateurish. Um, we just finish off with that. I mean, with no Formula One, uh, I know lots of people in the UK were watching the IndyCar season finale. And why wouldn't there be? What a great series we have. But the driving this weekend was pretty pathetic. There was just so much contact, unnecessary contact that didn't need to happen. Um, what do you think, Taron? Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you was watching this with my dad. It was the second ever for IndyCar race he's ever watched. Um, and to be honest with you, beforehand he thought IndyCar was pretty silly. And I was just like, no, the racing here in IndyCar is really hard, really fair, really kind of... This is where we see the big moves and where we can see hard action racing. Um, guys, uh, Laguna Seca was silly. Um, it was so, so, so unbelievably silly and amateurish. Um Literally every single caution restart, there was an incident at that final corner. It was a bit unbelievable how many safety car restarts just kind of created extra cautions. Um, I, I think in between, I think it was lap 29 and lap 72. Pretty much every single restart, apart from between lap 40 and 58, provided extra cautions. I think I've got my stats right. Probably haven't because I'm Taron and my IndyCar stats are not the best. But anyway, um, yeah, every single restart involved crashes. And, um, well, it wasn't the best kind of race to watch if you're kind of trying to get new into IndyCar and 
you've heard so many people say, "Oh, this sport is so brilliant and such and such hard and fair racing," and uh, it ends up seeing every single driver crashing at restarts. Um, yeah, um, the new, the new, I think the new track surface certainly provided a lot of talking points. Um, but overall, um, Laguna Seca certainly provided good action racing. Um, I think I think all the contact to a side. Um, seeing cars go fast uh, and seeing cars go through the corkscrew, it has to remain in IndyCar. There's no way this circuit cannot be not on the IndyCar calendar next season. Oh no, it's definitely going to be on the schedule. It will be on the schedule. It will just be in June rather than the season finale. Which, uh, it's probably better to be in June because I can't lie, it is dead as a season finale. There was, I mean, I know ticket sales were up for, for like the highest that they've been for uh, some time, but... Uh, Come on, it, if you if you compare it to, to some of the other places, I mean, going to Nashville is almost the perfect non-like super speedway. Obviously, the ideal scenario would be to run like a hundred and sixty or a hundred and fifty lap race around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway at night to finish off the season. But I am I am I am an optimist. I am not a realist. Um, Nashville is a great place to hold it, and on the Broadway, it will be very cool. But um, yeah. That's probably the final bit of IndyCar where we've done everything except talk about the race wrapped up for the season. That's how this podcast works, remember. We, we don't talk about actual on-track racing. Does and don't, be so, don't be so ridiculous. Why would we talk about the on-track product? Remember, in the, was it Chip Ganassi that said earlier in the season, Formula 1 is about everything other than its on-track product? Yeah, well, we're making IndyCar like that as well. Wow, fast car going down Broadway. Zoom. That's what we're doing on this podcast, and that is why you're listening. Um, if we uh, transport ourselves across to the series where no one cares about what actually happens on the track, the track has changed. We're going to Singapore, and it's had some alterations. It's going to be a little bit faster. Those two awkward chicanes have gone, which is nothing but a good thing. Um, so, yeah, the Singapore circuit has been changed. It's, uh, it was, of course, F1's original night race. Last year, we had um, shocking performances from Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell, who all decided that the racetrack was not the best place to be at all. Um, they, they all found, like, the barrier or the wet line or the escape road or the side of Mick Schumacher's car were all better places to be than the racing line. So, you know... Um, uh, we're looking forward to Singapore this weekend. Um, Taron, how do you think it's going to go? Well, um, hopefully, Max, uh, you're, hopefully, uh, you remember the breaking zone into turn seven. Uh, sorry, Max, just don't break into it. Just have a front two locked, just lock up into turn seven and leave marks there that you did last year. That would be beautiful to see. Um, <laughs> so it's hate, hate to a side here. Uh, we don't condone condone any hate here, but seeing a driver other than Max Verstappen win a race in 2023 might be nice to see. And who else to win a street circuit in 2023 than Sergio Perez? This is where he won last year, but um, unfortunately, Sergio this year has not been as good as he was last year. Um, there is rain forecast yet again. Um, I can't remember the last F1 weekend that hadn't had a little bit of drizzle, a little bit of rain here and there. It was just a bit of a long time ago, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, uh, Singapore, track layouts changed. Um, I love how you talk about on-track action. We don't see any in F1, James. Remember that. This is the F1 2023 season where we're always complaining about not being able to see overtakes. The Dutch Grand Prix to a side, I know that. But 
crack produced a little bit of overtaking, guys. Okay, unfortunately it did. Uh, it was the odd one out. Um, but yeah, Singapore certainly should provide some good racing. I know that Helmut Marco is uh, saying that Charles Leclerc is going to be a threat this weekend. But um, I think Helmut is, is under a little bit of fire for some comments he said. Um, I won't go into them a bit deep, deeply. Um, how he's still there, how kind of as Rebels uh, advisor, I do not really know. He literally... He literally just kind of racially uh, abused one of the drivers, saying that Sergio Perez is South American. Um, Helmut, Mexico is in North America, remember, mate? I know it might be South North America, but it's still in North America. And how can you say that South Americans aren't that focused when you have literally drivers uh, have won, I think, 13 drivers' championships have come from South America, if I'm correct? Fangio with five. Yeah, three PK, three Senna, five Fangio. Um, yeah, and uh, he was he was he was going full out on um, ethnicity. So you know that was that was uh, that that was that was really really big brain from um, from them, which of course uh, you you despise to see. Um, and yeah, Red Bull zero tolerance to uh, abuse, except when he's our number two guy. Is uh, is is really showing well. So good for them. Um, yeah, they, they, they've got themselves into another PR mess. But at least it's not the cost cap mess that they were in this time when we came to Singapore last year. Um, one thing that Helmut Marco did say is you talked about Charles Leclerc. Ferrari's advantage in qualifying over the course of the year has been evident. Certainly over the second, like the battle for second in the constructors with your Aston Martins, your McLarens and your Mercedeses. Do you think that this is the weekend that Ferrari can take a win or just is it... Red Bull have it so under control that even, you know, with if Ferrari get early track position, like in Italy, um, Red Bull will find a way. Well, they need to have a good weekend, James. Um, they certainly Mercedes, that gap at the moment, just under 50 points, you know, even though, yes, it can very easily be bridged. Mercedes is one of those teams, as they had at Italy around Monza, they had a really, really scrappy day, yet they finished P5 and P6 which is more than enough points, um, especially if Ferrari are making errors here and there, which Ferrari always do um, as they moved ahead of Aston Martin around Monza. But um, yeah, their qualifying pace has always been good, Ferrari. They're always a team that seem to target qualifying instead of long race pace, I think it's fair to say. We noticed this last year. Red Bull were always a car that even though they didn't get as many pole positions as Ferrari, I believe, last year. They always equipped their car for races. And this was another thing we're kind of seeing this season, even though their car was an absolute rocket ship and it really doesn't matter. Um, they're always equipping their car best for race pace because they know that Verstappen is so cutthroat that he can easily take the lead in the race instead of in qualifying. It's just the driver that Max is at the moment. Uh, but yeah, Ferrari certainly need a good weekend. They they need to pick up the pace of there to catch Mercedes because, you know, Mercedes are very, very easily a team that can do a Brazil last year and pick up a 1-2 finish. I think that is definitely a finish that's on the cars this year for Mercedes. Um, their car is better than last year. Whether it's as good as Red Bull is yet to be seen. Uh, but yeah, Aston Martin are another team that need a good weekend. Lance Stroll needs to pull his finger out and get a good performance. Um, but I think another talking point is around McLaren. What can they do this weekend? 
we have no clue. McLaren is one of those teams where they can sometimes be so good, yet at other weekends they can be so, so bad. Um, you know, it's just McLaren. Um, I'm kind of going every single team now. Uh, Alpine, can they recover from Monza? Hopefully they can. You know, their P6 in the championship is kind of solidified. You know, there's no way Williams are chasing down that sixth in the constructor championship with circuits like Singapore, Japan, like all those circuits that have actual corners in which Williams cannot format. You know, it's that kind of thing that are affecting Williams at the moment. Um, as Alpha Tauri, last team I'm going to talk about, have upgrades coming to this weekend. Well done, AlphaTauri. You're finally taking tips from Red Bull here in 2023. Um, some Red Bull-esque upgrades that are surely going to help Liam Lawson and Yuki Tsunoda chase down Alfa Romeo and Hasfa in that battle for P8 in the championship. James, any other talking points between the 10 teams in our F1 championship? Well, it's just like Liam Lawson will be back this weekend. Um, and yeah, as you say, uh, I'd be very shocked if any of the uh, bottom four teams in the Constructors' Championship end up scoring any points this weekend. And, um, you know, it's just such a difficult track to make moves on. Um, overtaking is difficult. I know they've changed the track to try and boost overtaking. But even then, instead of having 23 corners, the circuit's going to have 19. So it's not like they've they've turned into a temple of speed around the streets of Minerina Bay. It's... Um, yeah, it's going to be a difficult race. It's certainly been a race of attrition. I mean, so many times, I mean, especially when I was younger, I was watching Formula 1 like 2012. Oh, I mean, that makes me feel really old. The Singapore Grand Prix wouldn't even last all 61 laps. I mean, they'd, be, they'd end up being timed races. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that, that'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how they get on. Um, it's going to be hopefully... A good one. Um, rain in the air. Remember, rain in 2017 caused the mother of all crashes at the start, taking out the, um, Verstappen, Vettel, Raikkonen and Alonso straight away. I mean, Lewis Hamilton must have just... I saw a tweet say he must have had a giggle to himself in his helmet as he saw the three of them crash and then Vettel spin out in front of him, knowing that in his uh, championship rival's biggest opportunity to take the lead of the point standings with only a few races to go, he bottles it from pole with Lewis starting fifth and Hamilton's first by turn four. Um, so that's that that that's always going to be interesting. I mean, I like Singapore. I love driving Singapore on the F1 game, but uh, it's a very difficult circuit to race on. And um, yeah, we'll we'll, ha- we'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to see how we go um, over the course of the weekend and uh, and beyond. Um, Felipe Drogovic is waiting in the wings for Lance Stroll's seat. You said Lance Stroll needs performance. Drogovic is there, ready to go, uh, in his imagination. Um, as as we've already discussed, I, I do think it was it was brainless for him not to pick up that F1 drive. But uh, of course, we shall see. Uh, unless you've got anything else to talk about, I think we will leave it there for this week. Any closing thoughts? Yeah, not really too much. Felipe Drogovic. I think the more I think about it, the more I think he's going to go into Formula E next season. There's an Andretti seat available for you, Felipe. Um, whether you're going to take it or not is um, your own opinion. But as it's kind of been running from uh, from IndyCar, you really don't want to seem to have a drive for next season, Felipe. I'm just waiting for it to happen, mate. Um, but yeah, um, I definitely think Felipe, Dr- Felipe Drogovic needs to see a single-seater drive uh, next season. Um, 
two seasons without any single seater racing, even three, maybe even three race, three seasons without any single seater racing is just too much. And when you're a reserve driver of a team that, let's be honest, they're not changing their driver lineup anytime soon. Um, yeah, um, unless Lance Stroll somehow is fired by his own dad, um, which uh, would be funny to see. But um, anyway, I think that's just that. That's that's all that I've got to say for today. Yeah, and uh, I miss IndyCar, and we've now got like six months until it returns. I'm already feeling myself shaking. I need I need my daily dose of the 2022 Indy 500. I need the do- I don't want to hear the Dutch national anthem. I need my daily dose of the 2022 Indy 500, the 2023 Grand Prix of St. Petersburg, the 2021 Nashville and 2021 Detroit races. Otherwise, I'm really going to struggle here. I can feel myself shaking over the course of the off-season. But uh, we will look forward to Singapore this weekend. Um, but, yeah, that's everything we've got for this week on the podcast. Um, yeah, If you have made it to the end, um, thank you for listening. Um, we, we have really... We are going to miss IndyCar, I think. Um, we are now going to go back to single-seater action with 12 overtakes in the race rather than 400 like we had on the weekend. So um, that'll be fun. But, uh, yeah, with a Formula 1 title, I say still to be decided. Max Verstappen can, I think, not quite technically win it this weekend. He certainly can win it next time out after Singapore in Japan. So, um, yeah, we'll... We'll just have to see how we go this weekend. Uh, That's all from us at the Single Seater Space Podcast. Thanks to Taryn for joining me on this week's show. And we will catch you next week. Goodbye.